Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 37 of the Peristyle Podcast. Peristyle Podcast is our weekly internet USC radio show. We talk about all things USC football. This week on the podcast, we've got a special treat for you. We're going to talk a lot of recruiting. We get a lot of emails. People want to talk about recruiting. So we've got Gerard Martinez. No one knows more about USC football recruiting than Gerard Martinez. We'll have him on later in the show. We'll also have uscfootball.com beat writer Dan Weike talking to us about what's been going on in practice this week as the team prepares for a horrible Washington team 0-7. If you have any questions or comments, you want to just drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll be happy to answer that email on the air. But in our first segment, as always, you can fire them up whenever you want. Just talking about USC, Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, what's up, man? Well, thank you very much. It's always good to be with you. And, uh, Ryan, here we go. Uh, homecoming at USC and uh, the University of Washington. The Huskies come down. It's sort of a unique week as far as for the Huskies. Tyrone Willingham uh, stepping down, coming down to USC uh, to play in a homecoming game, uh, a very important game for the Trojans and uh, 36 California players on the Washington Husky roster so uh you know it's it's a unique unique uh setting uh in the coliseum this week it certainly will be two home games in a row and if you need tickets for those games why don't you talk to our sponsor for the peristyle podcast southern california tickets sctickets.com is the website 1-800-888-7287 if you don't have a computer you want to just give them a call you can do that too concert sporting events theater and if you need tickets this weekend for washington just give them a ring just give them a ring, and they'll pick up the phone, and they'll send them to you. You can pick them up there, whatever. That's what I do. Definitely. All right, Coach. Well, I think we, we're going to talk about Washington coming up, but need to review the uh, Arizona game a little bit. I got to hear some of you, uh, some of what you were saying on Sunday, on your Sunday brunch show here locally in Los Angeles on ESPN 710. Give you a little plug there. And uh, you seemed a little fired up. Uh, what was your biggest concern coming out of that game? Well, you know, I, I get I always get fired up, so it isn't like I would just fired up for that show. <laughs> I get I get fired up when everything's going on and I love the game of football and I love talking about the game of football. And remember, when I talk about football, it's only my opinion. I'm not an expert, uh, I'm just my opinion of what I see and what I expect and and I think most of the football people out there want me to do that. They want me to say what I say as they read the papers and the people that write about uh, what do you think of this or what do you think of that or, or what's going on. First of all, I want to clarify, going to Tucson and beating Mike Stoops' team, which was really fired up, the largest crowd they've had there in years, homecoming, the whole thing, was a great win. It was a great win. It was a must win because if the Trojans didn't win that game, they would have not been able to compete and win the Pac-10 championship. It was an automatic. It was done. Arizona still has to play Oregon State. Someone has to beat Oregon State to eliminate Oregon State. So the Trojans can uh, go to the Rose Bowl. Obviously, we all know this. If Oregon State wins out, that means they still have to beat Arizona State. They still have to beat 
uh, Oregon and Arizona and I think Washington State, they will go to the Rose Bowl with three losses. They might not even be ranked, but they'd be the pack. They, you really, that's true. Yeah. They might be not even ranked, but they'll be going to a BCS bowl game. And if the Trojans went out, obviously they'll be so they'll have choices to go to a BCS bowl game. One of the bowl games that will lose their first or second place team to go to the Orange Bowl to play in the national championship game. And who could that be? Maybe the Sugar Bowl. They might even play in the Orange Bowl in the, in the pregame before the national championship game. So, you know, for money-wise, talking about money, Pac-10 would always want to have two teams in the BCS Bowl games. They get a lot of money that way. But obviously on this show, and what we want is USC to be in the national championship game or the Rose Bowl. So someone has to beat Oregon State for that to happen. Because if Oregon State wins out and if SC wins out, SC will go to a BCS Bowl game, but so will Oregon State. And they haven't been there, I think, since 1965. So we'll see what happens with that. But uh, Saturday, so they come home with a victory 17-10. to uh, Great victory for the Trojans. But I, I think a lot of concern uh, regarding the Trojans, the defensive side of the football plays a magnificent game. I mean, my goodness, 188 yards total offense, holding the 10 points, and basically – that's almost like a shutout to them considering field position and everything that went along with that game. Uh, uh, and, and offense, you know, a lot of people maybe don't look at it as I do, but I really feel they sputtered. Uh, they, they still don't have that identification of who they are, or what we are or what we do. And listen, this is who we are. This is what we do. Win or lose, we won 17 to 10, but next week we're coming back against Washington. We're going to do that same thing again. And we're going to do it again the next week. And we're going to do it again the next week. And we're going to do it so good that you can't stop us on that. So uh, I see, still think they're struggling a little bit with that. Uh, again, I do want to say, Mark Sanchez, I hate to see him have to always be the guy that they point to if Mark's off, that's why the offense isn't going good. Hey, Mark, without Mark right now, I, I wouldn't know what to say, where they'd be. I tell you, he is a true champion. He plays so hard. I love to watch him play. He fires up the offense, the defense, the whole thing, and really he has a lot of weight on his shoulders. He, And I hate to see him blame himself. I mean, when, when something doesn't go right, it was my fault. I, I hate to see a 19- or 20-year-old kid stand there and say, we won. It was my fault, though, that we didn't win bigger. We didn't do this, or we didn't do that. I, you know, I, I don't like that. He definitely holds himself accountable, Coach. And it, you know, they they talked about that a little bit. I think a lot of the fans on the message board, Sark, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator, took a lot of heat on USCFootball.com. There's a lot of people that weren't happy with the play calling. But there's there's some coach speak that I need you to translate for me. And I'm sure you did this many times when media asked you questions if the offense didn't do well. When people when the coach says. We didn't execute. And I, I understand executing is it's, it's, I don't know, that phrase just bugs me for some reason, but I understand that's important. Yes. I mean, you drop a play. If the guy doesn't do the right thing, then the play's probably not going to work. But it, it seems like sometimes it's overused as an excuse. Like, well, you know, if it couldn't have been like, well, we, you know, we kind of had a game plan that really wasn't as good as we thought it would. So if they, they would have to execute at such a high level th- to make this play work. Does, is that ever the case? You see, like, yeah, okay, if you would have executed that correctly, it would have worked. 
but it was such a high degree of difficulty that you really didn't give yourself much of a chance to work. Well, you know, let me put it this way. If every if everybody does their job in every single play, you're going to score a touchdown normally. So you're going to have breakdowns that happen. But you try to eliminate breakdowns by keeping things simple, by keeping things where people understand what they do. And normally when you have great players, you want those great players to demonstrate their skills. You want to keep it simple, and you bring the offense along at a, at a stage that they can handle. I mean, on defense, you have five-star players that line up and just pound on the offense of the teams they've played. Now, you know, they've been the hammer, and the offense has been the nail. Now, those same five-star players, as far as recruiting, and, you know, I, I don't know how many are on offense or how many are on defense, but are on the offensive side of the football, too. And it all starts with a philosophy. It all starts with execution. It all starts with a rhythm. It all starts with who we are. And the next thing it starts with is your offensive line. If you don't have an offensive line that can own the line of scrimmage, it's pretty tough to do anything right. You can run any offense if you've got an offensive line that wants to eat people up. And I think it starts with your offensive line. And from your offensive line, then you go to the other philosophies that you form of what type of football team you are offensively. And uh, I just think that right now, and this is just my opinion, as I said earlier, there's been too much motion. There's been too much of, of substitution in ways with receivers and players. It's hard to get a feel. And, and, I, and, and I'm not saying that the right plays are called, the wrong plays are called. Sometimes I wonder why certain plays aren't called or in the offense, like everyone does, like more draws or why, why don't we throw to the middle of the field more? Why don't we run more hooks or curls or screens or whatever? But that's just my philosophy, my, my vision. Uh, so, you know, you can always second guess, and I don't want to second guess but when my X is bigger than your O, then I've always said just line the X up right and let that X execute. And remember, coaches are teachers. All week you practice for the exam. And then on Saturday, that's your examination. Are you going to pass it or are you going to fail it? So, you know, that's what I was always used to say to my coaches. I'd say we're the same as a teacher. It's our job to help all of these kids pass the test and all graduate. I guess that's the best way of saying it. Yeah, now Coach, it, to me, you're looking at it, you said like the X's and O's, who's bigger, who's with what. It seems like you know, they're out there playing a game of chess when they should be playing a game of like rock'em, sock'em robots. They could just be pounding on these other teams. And uh, I don't know if you remember that game. That, that might, your kids might have had that, Coach. I don't know. There was a... A little fighting game, I think, when I was growing up. But it, just to me, it seems like they could be pounding the ball a lot more, especially towards the end of the game. And and it, I think it leads into a, a question about clock management as well. I mean, if you saw the end of that Arizona game, I mean, they're essentially trying to run out the clock, and they're snapping the ball with like twelve seconds left on the on the play clock, and then they're running a pass. And you're it's it, it's it was I was kind of baffled at the end of that game, to be honest. Just I, I wasn't sure what they were doing. It was almost like well, we have this game won, but we're going to try to just run our normal offense and see what goes instead of we should just run the ball right now. We should wait till the play clock is all the way down, milk as much time as we can. Did you, did you notice that at all? 
Well, it's pretty hard not to notice that. <laughs> I mean, uh, in fact, uh, you know, you, you, you threw the first ball deep. You came back and ran, ran the ball, and you got six yards, and you came back and threw the ball again. And, you know, when you needed one yard or two yards to get a first down, you make two first downs and the game's over. You don't need another score. You've won the football game. only thing can happen is something bad if you give the ball up. Uh, you just made a magnificent uh, fourth down goal line, or not goal line, but fourth down stop of, the, of their drive. The momentum had come your way. All you need to do is go in there and, and keep the ball inbounds. As you said, utilize the clock. Get a first down or two, and and the game's over with. Don't give the ball back to Arizona. Heck, uh, you know, at the end of the game there, it was like holding on to your, I don't know what you want to call it. It was like a 10-foot a, 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 a trembler earthquake, man. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't know what you call it. They almost ran the punt back. That almost broke for a touchdown. And then when the SC got the ball back, I think they were down like on what, the five-yard line or four-yard line, and, Stephon Johnson fumbled, and the ball was picked up by McCoy, and he ran the ball for 20 yards, and they reviewed the play and so on. I mean, wow. I'm going to tell you, it was, became very nerve-wracking as far as I was concerned, and, and I agree with you 100%. Uh, uh, it's amazing why they did that. It, it, you know, they say they might go back and say, oh, if we did it again, we wouldn't do it that way, or, you know, it was so-and-so, but shouldn't do it that way at, at the beginning. I mean, no. <laughs> you, you know, you know what I mean? You lose that game and, and that's an easy decision. That's not something I think that, that, that you say, how come he threw the ball that far down the ball of field? He should have dumped it off. Why throw the ball? Why not just run the ball, keep the clock going. As you say, let it run down to about a second or two, snap the ball, take your time, get back in the huddle run it down, and win a football game. Make two first downs and win a football game. Just tell you, you guys, we got it. It's on us. The defense has played the entire game. They have played you-know-what. We can't bring them back on the field. we got to make two first downs and go home with some pride. But that didn't happen, and wow, I'll tell you, I was a nervous wreck. Yeah, well, one last thing on the game, Coach. I think I don't want to beat this thing up too much. We'll have to see what happens. I mean, when uh, Washington comes into town this weekend, the penalties – when people, I, I think Carroll talked about after the Washington State game, he was really happy that they only had like two penalties or something like that. And I, I just shook my head. I'm like, I, I would, I knew I would have wrote down guarantee they did not fix their penalty problem. I mean, Washington State wasn't doing anything, so there was really no reason to commit penalties. There wasn't, that wasn't a game where you're trying that hard and the penalties are going to come. Now you're in a hard fought game again. Boom, ten penalties to one. Um, I mean, obviously that is a concern, and there were several. I mean, I'm sure there were some questionable ones. I wasn't really sure of when you looked at them, like there was a Cushing had a face mask and stuff like that. But there was other ones that looked like they could have been penalties, where there was some pass interference ones where uh, guys were playing some of the receivers pretty tight. Ten, ten penalties is probably about right. Um, but are are you concerned, or as a coach yourself? I mean, you never want to get like the whole grassy knoll conspiracy theory kind of stuff. But Carroll's mentioned it several times where. His team is always the most penalized, and his opponent is always the least penalized. Every week, it just shifts around. You know, the next week Arizona might get ten penalties, but when they played USC, they only had one. Uh, do you buy into that at all? Yeah, I buy into it, and uh, I've been on that side of it that Coach Carroll's been on. I've been fortunate enough to have teams that are aggressive. I've been fortunate enough to 
have teams that, that play like that and when you have players that play aggressively and you know you teach these kids to be gladiators man they're gladiators on saturday and 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 i'm not talking about i would never condone any unsportsmanlike penalty or 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 personal fouls that's stupid that's just absolutely stupid to do that and lose a game over that of, of some type but sometimes, unfortunately, you grab a face mask. It isn't like you do it purposely. Sometimes you do hold on uh, on pass blocking. If you wanted to call it, you could call a penalty on every single play, okay? If you wanted to over-officiate, you can over-officiate every single, game, every single play, not game. Now, it always has seemed to be, and it's always that way, the team that is the team that is superior is watched closer because it's somehow, maybe it's not in the official's mind, but it seems as though they have some type of obligation to really officiate and make sure that they earn everything that they're getting. It's like the I'm evening, not saying this happens. Like evening the playing field or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, and it's not done on purpose, but it's done just because you don't want someone to say they did this the whole game and you guys never saw it. But they know, really, probably SC's going to win the game. But they don't want to be criticized, possibly. I'm not saying they do this. But subconsciously, they watch it a little bit closer. Now, you won't believe this. Next Wednesday, I'm the guest speaker at the San Gabriel Valley <laughs> Officials Banquet. Wow. We've all asked those guys, huh? Well, you should bring that up, Coach. <laughs> I'll bring it up and say, what do you guys think about that? Is just be careful, right or wrong. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's always conspiracy theories out there and people say, and to me, it really seems like the Tom Hansen led PAC 10 would rather be everyone kind of mediocre as opposed to someone being great or a couple teams being great. And it's, it, it baffles me because it seems like officiating. You never want to really complain about the officiating, but when week in and week out, I'm sure what USC did, they committed 10 penalties, but it's hard to convince me that you couldn't have found those same penalties on the other side of the ball. It's just that lopsided each and every week. No, you're, it's right. That's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying when they're fragrant and you see those, everybody sees those, okay? Everybody sees pass interference. Everybody can make those calls. But some of the phantom calls, I call them phantom. I'd say that was a phantom call, Joe. I mean, you know, you try to even it up now. Next page, remember you owe me one. I used to I used to yell that on the sidelines. They I run into the officials all the time now, and they they still remind me of some of the things I call them. <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, and they they would say that's number forty two, Harv forty two. I say forty two. We don't even have a forty two on our roster. <laughs> and then they look around. Well, that's the number they gave me. So you yeah. know it, it's it's the way it goes. And and when you win, when you win, and when you're aggressive, and when you have great players, uh, they seem to be more aggressive. And when you're more aggressive, sometimes uh, you have those things. But if you want to you want to call a penalty, just watch the entire interior line. You can call a penalty on every single down. Yeah. Every single down if you want. Some offensive lineman is either chop blocking or right in there, almost chop blocking or somebody is holding or someone is doing something. If, if you want to call it. But you, what you have to do is call consistently. How far, what do you call a hold on both teams, both ways? You know, both teams can hold a little bit, and you let them get away with it. But where do you stop it? Is it this play, and then all of a sudden everybody says, look at that call. 
they brought back an 80-yard run. You know what I mean? No, I agree. And I, I've always – people ask me, like, well, what if they, USC goes to Arkansas or they play – uh, Virginia Tech or whatever, somewhere far away, and they're like, you're going to have to go with those other refs. And I've always said that USC does way better when they have non-Pac-10 refs. It's, I don't think it's they're not going to call things against USC. They just call things normally. They don't call every little thing. And I, I think doing that does even the field. Even if they call 10 penalties on each team, it slows the game down. It just takes all the momentum away. And I think it hurts the superior team, like you said. So... Um, but, you know, it is what it is. We'll have to see if it keeps going. Pete Carroll, have a few more of those in a row. Maybe he'll uh, have some explosion on the sideline. It'll be fun to talk about in one of these podcasts. Well, I hope he doesn't. No. But, uh, <laughs> I can understand his feelings. I really do. I can understand his feelings. But you say, why? You know, what's going on out here? You know what I mean? Why is this? Uh, why are we penalized more than others? And, 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 you know, he works on it. You know, he has officials at every practice, you know. Yeah. Uh, and he's got more officials out there and than any other poppy school does. But uh, sometimes some of these things are done that, uh, and they're called uh, differently and they're not called consistently. And, and uh, believe me, it's, it's, it's just part of the game. You just got to, I used to tell my teams, okay, we've got to overcome the officials. We've got to be better. No matter how the game is officiated, we got to overcome those calls. So let's just anticipate it. Let's know it's going to happen. Let's don't let it bother us, and let's just go do it. Yeah. All right, Coach, one last thing before we got to let you go. Looking forward to Washington 0-7. Awful. And uh, I've, I've talked about this on the sideline with some people at practice. They're like, yeah, when Jake Locker went down, that really hurt him. And to me, it's like, well, you can't even win a game without one guy. I mean, you really have to have – more players on the field than just one dude is going to carry your whole team. It just doesn't seem like that's, fo- you know, it's not basketball here. This is football. You need 22 guys. Just one guy goes down. You still can't win a game. Uh, you know, Tyron Willingham steps down. It's going to be an emotional week. I think the one thing I wanted to, to bring up with you is I'm, I'm sure you've coached against or for whatever, a, a, a lame duck coach, essentially. Do you think the players really fire up and, uh, you know, play a lot harder for something like that, knowing that their coach is not going to be there next time? Well, uh, let me put it this way. If they love the coach, if they love the coach and they feel they let the coach down, they will get fired up and play for that coach. And if they have the ability, then they'll play a better game against a certain team. Losing Lockhart just is like Oregon did a year ago in losing Dixon. They're a complete different team because that is their key guy. Uh, sure, they'll be emotional. Sure, they'll come down and try to play because they don't want to be embarrassed. I mean, SC has the potential of embarrassing that football team. I mean, 33-7 Notre Dame beat them at home last week. So certainly it could be another Washington State type of game. So they'll play for pride, and if I was Tyrone Willingham, I would tell them, guys, you don't have to play for me. Play for yourself. Don't let yourself down. Don't let Husky football tradition down. This program will be here long after we're all gone. So let's just go out there and play, play and get it done and get through this team, which is one of the best teams in the country, until we can get done. But, you know, you try to play emotional every week. Sure, you'll play emotional. SC will play emotional. 
But right now, SC's got better players. So if they play emotionally and execute the way they should execute, they will beat Washington. And it could be beating Washington bad. I mean, tell me, how many times have you seen the Vegas odds have a 43-point <laughs> difference? I mean, really, think about it. And, I like, mean, and twice in like three weeks, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? it yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I think it just hurts USC so much. I mean, the, the fact that Oregon State with three losses could go to the Rose Bowl and you have a Washington State, I and mean, the Apple Cup is going to be an absolute disaster this year. That's Washington versus Washington State. I mean, could it could be a shutout. Yeah. Could be a tie. Go forever. <laughs> Two awful, awful teams. But, you know, you, you, you hate to see that from a proud program like Washington and, and a good guy like Ty Willingham, but they, it's definitely uh, time for a change of the guard there. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. But, Coach, thank you so much for your time, and we will definitely talk to you next week and get more info about what's going on at USC. Thank you. All right, everyone else, if you want to go to the game this weekend, go to sctickets.com. Check them out. You can get your tickets there. And we will be back after a very short break talking recruiting with Gerard Martinez. Stay tuned. The Parastyle Podcast will be back after this short break. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. We now return to the Parastyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back, everyone. This is the second segment of the Parastyle Podcast for this week. And as promised, we have uscfootball.com recruiting analyst Gerard Martinez with us. Gerard, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. You're a promise maker now, huh? Yes, I make promises. Usually try to keep them, but hopefully on the podcast we'll be able to do that. It's, uh, I don't have to shoot too high. I get the people that work for me, so then they, they can't really say no. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> you like coming on, don't you, Gerard? You don't, you don't mind. I, I love it. I, I don't think I like it as much as Dan Wikey. Uh, but yes, it's an uh, enjoyable experience as always. Dan, we are going to talk to Dan in the next segment. He loves to uh, be on the podcast. So we'll, he uh, loves it. He's he like, uh, that's what he looks forward to during the week. I mean, that's what gets him by is the podcast. Definitely. All right, well. We had a couple questions come up. Uh, we had people email us some questions, and I just wanted to give a couple of them to you to see what uh, you know your your thoughts on these were. The first question was about the uh, five-star stud linebacker from Hawaii, Manti Teo. Uh, UCLA coach Rick Neuheisel offered a couple of Manti Teo's teammates, and uh, I don't think it's any secret that you know it looks like it's a battle between USC and BYU. But you know, obviously, anything can happen in the recruiting game. What do you think Rick Neuheisel is doing here? Is this really an attempt to, to try and get the Manti and offering some of his teammates, or what's going on? 
I think it's pretty obvious what's going on. Um, I mean, you know, I think they want to get their foot in the door with Hawaii. Uh, I think Norm Chow has an excellent reputation in Hawaii, and being able to, to get the best players off the Big Island would be, you know, beneficial to their recruiting efforts. And right now, people talk about UCLA and setting the standard for their recruiting like last year. They had a really good class last year, and they got some really good players uh, from the city section, and they're kind of, you know, people are assuming, well, they should be at that level still, and they're not. Um, they've really started out slow this year. They've had trouble kind of getting some consistency with some of the guys that they signed, and they've gone down and looking at guys that are more role players for them, guys that can just set a foundation, I think, for the philosophies, uh, for what the coaching staff believes in, and really trying to get out of the way from what the previous coaching staffs had set up. So, you know, they're going to bring in guys that maybe they're not necessarily the most athletic guys. Maybe they're not guys who are four or five-star guys, um, but they're guys that they feel they're going to do what they say and buy in to their system. So, you know, obviously there's, there's, a, there's a payoff there at the end if you're able to get two teammates of a five-star guy and get the five-star guy. But I don't know if it's all about that. I don't know if it's all about Manti Teo. Okay. Well, I mean, I was reading the message boards a little bit up on uscfootball.com, and they were talking about this. And uh, I, I think one of the, the key words that came up was desire. And yeah, okay, so maybe they're trying to get guys that are close to Manti Teo or you know, make some inroads into Hawaii, whatever you want to say. I think with Norm Chow, obviously, that, that's really helpful. But sometimes you can get those three-star guys that want to play so badly, and they do have that desire factor. They just want to be out there on the field, and they can make up for some of their you know, uh, athletic shortcomings with just their will and their heart. Exactly. And Norm Chow made a living at BYU with guys who were quote unquote, uh, not athletic receivers, uh, guys who were not going to be able to go to the NFL and do great things. Uh, but they worked for his system. They were smart kids. They ran good routes and they were where they needed to be uh, at certain times. And the quarterback could depend on it. And it was more of a system. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, people can, can, can criticize and say, oh, well, that, you know, they're recruiting guys who are not athletes, and the whole reason behind that is because they're trying to get this other guy down the road. I don't, I don't know that that's what it's all about. Like I said, I think that uh, some of it has to do with kind of, uh, uh, kind of a blank slate a little bit and, and kind of changing a, a little bit of the mentality um, that's, that's at UCLA right now. And, and you bring in, you know, star guys, and obviously they're going to have – some egos, and they're going to have some things that they want to do personally. And right now, that's not what UCLA needs. UCLA needs uh, just people to buy into the system and, and kind of change, I guess, the culture of football there. All right. Uh, at questions. If you do have questions, you can always email us, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's where this next question came from. It was pretty simple, Gerard. They just, he wanted to know, who are the locks that USC can sign up for the rest of this class? The locks. There are no locks in any class at any time. It just doesn't happen. I mean, there are guys that are more than likely to end up at USC, <laughs> but to say that anybody's a lock, I mean, you know, that's just, uh, you, can't, you can't do it because it's recruiting and you're talking about 17-year-old kids and, uh, and their minds change like the wind. And so it's, there's, no, there's no locks. I would never say lock on the message board. I've never said lock in a, in a story. I've learned better. <laughs> uh, there are guys that I think that USC is in really good shape with. I think Devon Kennard, they're still in very good shape with. Um, I think uh, John Martinez, the uh, offensive lineman from uh, Salt Lake City, uh, Cottonwood High School, in very good shape with. Um, I think they're in very good shape with Manti Teo as well. A lot of people are saying, hey, you know, BYU leads. Um, it's, a, it's a race between BYU and USC. I think USC is definitely a very attractive 
um, university for Manti Teo, just in, in a number of different ways. I mean, it's, it's not just about religion for him. Yes, that's a big part. Uh, he's LDS. He wants to go on a mission. Uh, but this is a kid who's also, you know, wants to go to a good school and, and wants to get a good education and wants to play big-time football. I mean, he really wants to be at a high level of play, and I think he has aspirations of going to the NFL, and he think USC definitely fits that bill. So there, there, there's some players there that are definitely guys that you can say USC's in good shape with, but to call him a lock, you know what? You know, anything can happen until signing day. Typically, I mean, when you see a team do well, it usually helps the following recruiting year. Correct me if I'm wrong on this, but like, if do you think that what BYU and USC does the rest of the way would have any effect on what my, on what Manti Teo does, you know, if, if USC wins out or BYU wins out or vice versa, I mean, what do you think? No, I don't think so. I think it it's more at this point in time um, the influences and the relationships that he has with the coaching staff and what happens on official visits and the vibes that he gets personally uh, with the team and the chemistry and those type of things I think are more the here and now and present. Uh, whereas when, it, when you talk about winning and you're talking about national championships, that has a kind of a, a reverberation. That, that, that doesn't really affect the class here and now. It's more down the line. I mean, we're starting to hear more and more about Reggie Bush from kids now. Now, when Reggie Bush was in high school, or excuse me, when Reggie Bush was in, at USC and he was doing all those great things, yeah, you would hear that from kids, but it wasn't necessarily like, yeah, I'm looking at U, uh, USC because I want to be like Reggie Bush. No, we're hearing that from Lake Seastruck, who idolized Reggie Bush. Now, Lake Seastruck is, you know, three, four years uh, removed from Reggie Bush even being in college football. So that's kind of more uh, how you see things uh, in terms of influence, in terms of, you know, when kids are looking at a program for prestige and winning, and they're talking about tradition. You know, when tra- word tradition comes out of a kid's mouth, he's really talking about three or four years ahead of him. <laughs> he's not talking about Marcus Allen and O.J. Simpson. <laughs> so, so that's, uh, yeah, you, you, that more of the here and now, I think, is really the coaches and, and the relationship that those kids have with coaches and the relationships they have when they go there and they talk to the teammates, they talk to guys that uh, are on the team, and the recruits as well, you know, just whether they get along with the other recruits in the class. I think that's more important, and that's going to play a bigger role, uh, specifically with a guy like Manti Teo, uh, with Manti being um, such a spiritual kid and such a kind of down-to-earth, it's not really all about football form. So those things are going to matter a lot. All right, we're talking with Gerard Martinez, the USCfootball.com recruiting analyst. I really don't know anyone that knows more about USC football recruiting than Gerard. And for our listeners out there, there's some people that are they're really just into the team and they don't know much about recruiting. Definitely check out his work at uscfootball.com. It kind of kind of sucks you in. It's almost like a drug. You start li- listening about what these kids like and all the, the interviews that we do with these kids. It's just kind of fun to follow their high school careers and you can see their videos and photos and all kinds of stuff, what they do at camps. And then, you know, they narrow their list down and they make official visits. So it's, it's kind of fun uh, to follow. It's a whole soap opera. It's a, it's a soap <laughs> opera. It's uh, you get sucked into the future of the program because basically recruiting is the future of the program. And that's why the USC coaching staff works so hard and they're on the recruiting trail and they're going after guys. and They're so competitive away from just what happens uh, on the field on Saturdays. It's, it carries over into the off season and over the summer. And it's, it's kind of a 24 hour uh, you know, seven day a week, 365 days a year thing, and and you get kind of consumed by it. And people are really into the program, and really those diehard Trojan fans um, that that really want to know 
what the program is like, those guys know what's going on in high school. They knew Stephon Johnson when he was playing quarterback at Dorsey. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, that's, you just, you kind of know what to expect coming in. And, you know, and, and, and that's another thing with the expectations of the team nowadays, people see those recruiting classes and they say, Hey, we should be winning national championships. So it's definitely a balance. And, uh, you know, the, the hardcore SC fans, they're definitely uh, sucked into the recruiting process. Yeah, we had uh, Bruce Feldman on, in last week on the podcast, and uh, from ESPN, he wrote a great book called Meat Market, and it gives you a lot of detailed information about that whole recruiting process, and it in, you know involved USC because he was at the Ole Miss program when Ed Orgeron was there. Of course, Ed Orgeron was a great recruiter at USC. He was a recruiting coordinator, and you know Bruce was a fly on the wall in their war room all year, and the coaches there we're convinced that, you know, Joe McKnight was going to come to Ole Miss, you know, and people at LSU thought the same things. And now you get to see, you know, you saw the whole drama unfold, and now you get to see Joe McKnight making all kinds of plays for USC. So it is kind of fun to see the kids in high school. And there's there's a lot of kids that, that were okay in high school that become great. There's a lot of kids that were great in high school and continue to be great. And there's some that were great in high school, and they, they're kind of those bus guys. So there's you can follow all of that, and it's it's fun, like you said, like, some guy will talk about, I remember watching Stephon Johnson play quarterback, or you see other guys, you know, Everson Griffin playing fullback or whatever it is, you know, when they're, they're doing that stuff. It's kind of fun to follow. Everson Griffin was a great tailback in high school. Uh, that was a guy that uh, everybody, I think, was blown away with his athleticism, you know, just as, as a guy in a camp who could run fast. But then when his tape came out in his senior year and he was hurdling guys at running back, People were like, oh, my God, this guy is the next, I mean, he's the next Julius Peppers. He's just a freakish <laughs> athlete anybody saw. And, um, yeah, there's definitely, you know, and, and then people go, well, how come he's not doing that at USC right now? Well, you've you got to give him time. It's definitely, uh, like I said, expectations. Sometimes the recruiting process builds expectations of players more than what they actually do on the field when they're in, you know, cardinal gold. Yeah, it's it's tough to make that jump, but. Uh, you know, we follow it every year and it's always fun to do. And, and like I said, Gerard knows more about this than anybody that I've ever met. Um, couple right, of things. I've met many people. I know. Well, we, t- we talk recruiting a lot. A couple of things that, that you broke this week uh, on USCfootball.com, Gerard. There was a uh, couple of official visits that were announced that are coming in this weekend. You, each player, if people don't know, you get five official visits uh, per year so that, that the school can pay for the visit to fly you out for a game or whatever it is, whatever that weekend. And kind of wind you and dine you a little bit within the limits of the NCAA rule book. And so there are a couple of new guys coming out and also a new offer went out. If you wanted to talk about those a little bit, Gerard. Yeah. Big news. Um, some out of state recruits coming in during the year, which is a rarity for USC. They don't really take a lot of official visits during the season. Um, obviously Washington game. I think, uh, they feel pretty confident <laughs> this weekend about yeah. the game and, uh, they're going to bring in some guys. They're going to bring in Frankie Telford, who's a four star linebacker. Uh, from Miami Gulliver Prep High School. Uh, he's about six foot, about 205 pounds, 210 pounds. Uh, listed as a linebacker, but what I'm hearing is that USC might want to put him at safety. Um, he's a really, really fast player, really quick, real sudden, comes up to the line of scrimmage without hesitation, makes some big hits. Um, kind of a guy that uh, a few years ago there was a kid named Trey Blackman who uh, came out of uh, Georgia, and he ended up signing with Auburn. And uh, kind of an undersized guy who can play a linebacker or has the speed to pay safety. Safety, but comes up and just lays wicked hits on people. Um, you know, a guy maybe like Troy Polamalu. You know, people throw that around too. I don't want to make those comparisons to a guy who's a pro bowler in the NFL. But uh, Frankie Telford, definitely a, a big time prospect, a guy in the Rivals 100 that we've known about for a while, and uh, he's going to be coming out here. And it sounds like USC's um, definitely in the mix. I think it might be he uh, that, they're, that they're looking at for. Maybe one of those safety positions, if you got Taylor Mays and Kevin Ellison, you know, moving on, 
uh, after this year, and uh, it's probably going to be USC in Florida. Um, there was also a kid coming in named uh, Jarvis Jones, who's a 6'3", almost a 230-pound linebacker at this point. Uh, he's from Carver Columbus High School, which is in Georgia, and he's coming out. He's a really capable of playing all three linebacker positions. He can play Mike, um, probably more of an outside linebacker, especially with that height. He like those big, rangy guys to be able to play on the edge, especially in USC system when you got guys like Brian Cushing and, and Clay Matthews Jr. Um, so he's going to be coming in. He was really sounded like he was really leaning towards Clemson for a while, and obviously with the coaching change at Clemson now, things have kind of opened up for him. So uh, you got Florida, you got LSU, you've got Texas in there. Uh, pretty much the the high the high BCS schools um, he's looking at. So he's going to be flying out here with his mother, and uh, both those guys, out of state guys, are going to be coming in. And USC, I think you know, trying to get at least one of them, it would probably be a pretty big steal. All right, and then the other one, uh, there was a new offer that went out as well. Yeah, Kevin Green, a uh, 6'3", 230-pound defensive end from San Francisco, uh, plays at Sacred Heart Cathedral High School. Uh, not a real big-time high school when it comes to football, but this kid is actually his first year of football was last year. He's a big-time basketball star, big hands, real great leaping, uh, leaping ability, just, just you know, one of those athletes you look at when he walks in uh, to the uh, to the stadium, you go, oh, geez, this kid is a this kid's a player. He's got that look about him, and uh, he's coming in. He got an offer last uh, last week, and it's kind of a surprising offer a little bit. But it seems like USC, as far as you know, where the quality of talent is this year, it seems to be more defensive end uh, than it is a defensive tackle. So they've offered quite a few defensive ends. He's the latest one. Um, we'll see what happens. Cal hasn't offered him yet, and he really does like USC a lot. So we'll have to see. He could be a little bit of that kind of hybrid defensive end, a guy who can play weak side or can back off into the elephant position as a stand-up outside linebacker slash defensive end. Uh, but just a, a just an uber athlete. Question is, how much of a football player is he? You know, how much can he develop within a system and, and really become just a, a sure tackler and kind of do the little things um, that you want as just a football player, not necessarily guys just fast and can jump high. Um, so that's going to be it. I mean, but this, you know, last year, first year playing high school football, had 17 sacks. So he's having another <laughs> good year this year and got himself an offer. Yeah, uh, just to clarify a couple things. One, we have no knowledge that Taylor Maids will leave early for the NFL. Just uh, no, yeah. that's not. We, we, we only assume and presume uh, that uh, there's a possibility, and 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 that's why the safety position is very very for USC to recruit this year. Um, you know, they've got to get some guys. They've got to get some numbers because if they do lose, uh, I mean, we know they're going to lose Ellison, but if they lose Maids on top of it, it becomes an issue at that position. Definitely, and the other thing too, when we're talking about offer. I mean, this is really a scholarship offer given by a university to a player. And, and, and what happens is that, you know, Pete Carroll and the staff will recruit just like any other school. They'll recruit kids. And at certain levels, sometimes it's when they're a junior, sometimes when they're senior, I guess sometimes even when they're a sophomore, you would offer them a scholarship saying that, you know, we would officially, they're officially, they'll recruit kids they don't give a scholarship offer to because they haven't, they're not sure yet. But once they've made up their mind that this kid could make it into the program, they offer them a scholarship. And then if the, you know, the kid accepts, he verbally commits and says he'll come, but it doesn't mean anything, like Gerard says, until signing day in early February. Yep, that's when it all, you know, is set in stone. And, uh, you know, scholarship offers kind of uh, the university committing to the player and saying, you know, we think you're good enough to come here and play for our team. Uh, and if you want to accept that, then you can be committed. And hopefully we'll meet you on signing day and we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll make it all uh, matter. We'll make it all official then. And then you get the signing day drama. People change their minds at the last second. All kinds of Oh, it's great. Stuff. It's like a roller coaster ride. Like <laughs> I said, I mean, the recruiting process 
it's like a soap opera. It's uh, it is like a like a drug. I mean, it's just it's ups and downs. It's emotional. Fans get personally invested in it, uh, which I tried to tell them not to, <laughs> because they can be up one minute and down the next minute. Um, you know, watching these kids, and again, they're kids. You know, they're seventeen year old kids, and they change their minds. And there's got so many influences, and there's so much pressure on them coming from all other places. I mean, you've got these these big-time college coaches that you see on TV every Saturday calling them up weekly and saying, hey, you know, we can do everything for you. This can be the greatest opportunity in your life, and we're going to get you to the NFL, and you're going to play on Saturday in front of national television. And it's, it's, they've got that offer from everywhere, and there's a lot of different things pulling them in a lot of different directions. So, uh, you know, you've got to have to – you have to temper uh, your enthusiasm a little bit with the recruiting process, but it is exciting, and uh, it's, it's a lot to follow. There's a lot of intangibles that go along with it. Yeah, so the public service message here is if, if a prospect doesn't sign with the school you root for, which in our case is USC, don't, don't be hating on him. I mean, it's okay. He's making a college choice. You've made yours probably at some point if you went to college, and it's, it's you know, you never had Pete Carroll and Nick Saban and uh, – Rick Neuheisel <laughs> calling you up every week and trying to see if you'd come to the school. Flying helicopters to your high school on, on game days. Yeah, yeah. And, and remember, kids, just because you hate haters still means that you're a hater. Oh, that's very deep. I like that. That's very deep. Very like... philosophical. I, 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 Brian Cushing uh, showed up to practice with the shirt on, I hate haters. I said, Brian, you're still a hater, brother. <laughs> so you hate yourself? I don't know how that works. All right, well, Gerard, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for uh, joining us and sharing your insights again. We'll hopefully have you on the podcast very soon. All right, man. Thank you. No problem. Everyone else, stay tuned. We have a 30-second break, and we'll be back with Dan Waikie to talk some more USC football. You're listening to the Peristyle Podcast from Los Angeles, California. Hey, USC Trojan fans, to get into the huddle of your Southern Cal Trojans, log on to uscfootball.com today for all the latest in Trojan football, basketball, and recruiting news. Ryan Abraham will give you an in-depth analysis, recruiting updates, and will answer your questions every day on the message board. So for all the latest in team and recruiting news on your USC Trojans, check out uscfootball.com, the officially licensed Southern Cal site of the Rivals.com network. It's time to get back to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. We are back for our third and final segment of this week's Peristyle Podcast, Getting Ready, the Trojans taking on the once-proud Washington Huskies. Now, they're just in a sorry state up there in Seattle. It rains every day, highest suicide rate in the nation, and your football team is absolutely horrible. We join Dan Wyke, USAFootball.com beat writer. Dan, what's going on, man? I hate Seattle, too. You do? I'm not part of it. No, actually, I really like Seattle. I've never been, so I've always wanted to go. Um, it's one of my favorite uh, seasons of the real world, one of the original ones. I think it was like one of the second, maybe the second one was real world Seattle. Yes. Uh, Seattle's a cool city. I mean, the space, space Needle is neat. They throw those fishies around and stuff. It's pretty cool. I'm not a coffee drinker, and you, I mean, they give you a cup as soon as you get off the plane, so I'm not sure how that works. That's why I wasn't a huge fan of it, but man, I mean, they love their Huskies. But right now, it is not looking good for the entire state of Washington. No, it's bad football up there. I mean, the Seahawks are bad. <laughs> the, uh, Washington's bad. Washington State is bad. I don't know what Eastern Washington's doing, but I assume they're probably bad, too. Um, it's just like something in the water. And the right Sonics now, left. Just, 
The so- bad football. The Sonics went to uh, Oklahoma City. That's pretty sad. When it's 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 just a sorry state up there, I and mean, we we feel bad for him. I mean, uh, Ty Willingham is a really nice guy. If you ever get to meet him or talk to him at those media days and stuff, he, I mean, he's a nice guy. He, I think he really cares about his kids. Uh, he wants them to get an education, and but if you're not winning games. It's just it's just not going to work in this business, and uh, well, I don't know. We'll see where he where he ends up. But I mean, they you know you talked about this week, Dan, in, in one of your pieces. There could be a real emotional game for the the Huskies, and they might play USC tough just because of this whole Willingham situation. Yeah, I mean, I know we had this conversation too. I always have a theory about in sports in general that that you know teams when something like this happens, maybe it's an injury to a star player or some sort of tragedy or something like that, that it, it really teams emotionally kind of mesh. Um, they're forced to, and they tend, um, they either tend to do one of two things, they either lay down and like, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of the nail in the coffin for, for whatever they were at, or they use, they use the adversity and they kind of rise up from it. And I think that's what USC is expecting Washington to do. I think, you know, they've been kind of snaked in this year. Obviously you lose Jake Locker, who is one of the pac times premier players, I mean, early in the season, and you know, I mean, they were they weren't a great they weren't winning games when he was on the field. I mean, obviously they're, they're much much worse now, and now you know they don't have a they know that they're not going to have a uh, they're going to have a different head coach next year, and they're in that kind of a, a lame duck situation. But I mean, I would think that you know the most frightening people are, are in the most frightening teams are the teams with zero to lose, and they're a team with absolutely nothing to lose. Right, and you, like that said, what, so was Washington State. Washington yeah. State also was a team that had nothing to lose, and I mean, we knew what happened there. Right, Washington State went different. to the Washington State went to the fetal position. They didn't fight back at all. I mean, they were just they just gave up. Uh, the thing, I mean, with Washington, I almost feel like if they were going to pick a game to do this and get, I mean, it's almost like you have a, a trump card somewhere and you're going to pull it out. They should have pulled it out against a team like an Arizona state or some, someone that they could actually beat. Like even if they play way over their heads, they're not going to beat USC. So it's almost like they wasted this opportunity. You only get one of these, you know, your whole career. <laughs> it's like they wasted it on USC. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's football. I mean, obviously they certainly could win somehow, like some, something crazy could happen and they could win. Um, but it would have to be absolutely crazy. And it would have to be absolutely insane. Um, I do think there's a chance for them, though, to, to play a good football game and, and to be um, to be emotionally charged. I mean, we've seen USC at times in the past not been able to match other teams' um, emotion and enthusiasm in these games where it's supposed to be so one-sided. I mean, I think that was one of the big things at Oregon State was that USC just couldn't match their intensity and their energy. And I think that's certainly a possibility here. I mean, you know, again... The one, the things that I do like though is that USC does have their back against the wall. They can't afford to hiccup here. I mean, you know, they're still waiting on on some other stuff to happen, as far as you know, whether it's go to the Rose Bowl, go to maybe the Fiesta Bowl, you know, or you know, still I guess there's still that glimmer of hope of going to the national championship game. I mean, you they can't afford to 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 not look impressive. Every time that they get the chance, especially on national TV, I mean, you have to play well. And you if, have to. If they don't against Washington, there really is something wrong. And I think there's going to be a lot of eyes uh, on Sarkeesian. If, you know, we were down at practice yesterday, and Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive coordinator, was surrounded by media for, for a long period of time. You know, and there, you know, his name has come up in the Washington uh, circles, uh, you know, 
that he well he said that you know he would be interested if uh you know Washington contacted him which you know they haven't done yet you know it's funny Lane, him and Lane Kiffin were both involved in that Oakland Raiders head job and now both of them could be involved in some other head coaching <laughs> jobs and stuff but it, it's almost like they're, they're, they're everyone's going to watch the offense because they did play so poorly and they people felt they left a lot of points on the table at Arizona I wonder for for Sarkeesian, maybe he's going to even call a better game just because he wants to impress Washington and maybe get the job. Yeah, I mean that, that's certainly you know kind of like one of those games in the game scenarios. I mean, for I don't know. I think Sark got a little bit of a hard time for some of the play calling. Um, I, it wasn't great. I don't think it was as awful though as people thought it was. They did do some silly things. I don't know why they were calling last pass plays with five minutes to go in the game, um, you know, up a touchdown and around midfield. Like, like that, I don't know. Um, but, I mean, you know, I think a lot of what happened was, I mean, I thought Mark had some chances to make some big plays, and he didn't execute. And all of a sudden, I know I've had this discussion with numerous people, that that game would have been, I think, so different had Mark not overthrown Patrick Turner on, on their first offense to play the game. I think that changes so much. I mean, if you go on the road and you, you – Go, you stop their offense three and out, you get a punt, you force the punt, you return the punt 50 yards, and then you score on the next play. I mean, that sends a pretty strong message. Yeah, I think, I think there was a strong message, too, just stopping them and actually putting up some points right away. I think that it wasn't going to – you knew at that point it wasn't going to be Oregon State. They weren't going to be down 21 nothing before they got going. Uh, no, but, I mean, but, but Washington dodged a bullet there. Really. I mean – you know, in that situation, you hold USC's offense to a field goal. That's a good thing. I mean, you know, they're inside. They're, I think they started to drive at like the 25, you know. And I don't think they, they – my memory says, correct me, I don't have the numbers in front of me exactly now. I don't think they gained a yard, you know. And, and I think, you know, that in itself is – I mean, that kept their defense in the game. That kept the crowd in the game, you know. And, and that was a chance for a quick little knockout blow. Maybe not a knockable, but a first good like haymaker, you know, a really good clean shot early, and they did, they didn't convert, and I think that hurt them a lot. I mean, in that game, as far as kind of setting a tone, um, as far as far as I do think, though, obviously getting points on the road early is always imperative. I mean, you know, they had to get something. I mean, if Baylor misses a kick, who knows what happens again? You know, I mean, but I I thought that that missing that first play, I thought made a big difference in the game. I think it, it changed a lot of sort of, you know, what um, you kind of got a sense that Mark wasn't going to be 100% um, really with that throw because that was as bad of a miss as he's had all year. I mean, really, I mean, Turner Turner has run that route to perfection this year. The kind of skinny post where he gets the cornerback on, on the outside and, um, you know, he's the entire inside part of the field to work with his size and his physicality, you know, and his strength. I mean, but that ball is, you know, 12 to 14 inches lower. It's a touchdown. Yeah. And it, well, I mean, but he has a lot of room to miss. Like you said, it's not just those 12. To, I mean, he could have any. I mean, it was almost like a, a rebounder here. Patrick Turner has his body in front of the defender, and that's why he runs that route so well. He has the entire backside of that play sealed off. Anything in front of him is a touchdown, you know? Yeah. And it was just an awful throw. I mean, and, and Marcus said as much, you know. But, I mean, he did do good things in that game. I mean, it wasn't – like, I, I left that game feeling like that was a good win for USC. I don't think that it was a monumental, colossal disappointment. I think Arizona was a good team playing with a ton of emotion. 
and to go on the road and really their first chance to win a close game. I mean, you know, they hadn't been in the, like they hadn't had a one touchdown lead in the fourth quarter yet. You know, I mean, when you look at what they've done offensively, I mean, usually in the fourth quarter, they're up 30 or they were down at Oregon state. I mean, they haven't been in that situation yet. And to come out of it with a win, even though there were some mistakes, they got a couple lucky bounces. I think that, you know, they did the right things. I mean, they won the game. I mean, yeah, sure, they dropped in the polls. But, you know, that's that's neither here nor there right now. I mean, I think that the important matter, at least, was to, to defensively, defensively look down and again against a pretty good offense. I mean, to hold Arizona to, to under 90 yards passing is phenomenal. I mean, they made they made them look inept in the passing game. Okay. And that's, that's one of their strengths. I mean, they're – that's a team that averaged over 40 points a game. That's averaging over 40 points a game this year. Yes. You know? Speaking of inept, we do have the, the, the Washington game coming up on Saturday. What can, <laughs> what can they do? Look at you. What can they do? I mean, I just, I'm, I don't think it's going to be as bad as like the Washington State game, which, you know, that was horrific. But, it, you know, maybe Sark is fired up and he wants to show him, you know, everything that's, that he can possibly do. And uh, I, I just don't see much happening good for Washington and that homecoming crowd will probably be, you know, filing out somewhere in the third quarter to go drink wherever, because that seems to what happened. I mean, I, I just don't see them not winning by five, six touchdowns. Um, yeah. Here, here's a little interesting uh, tidbit. Um, after uh, USC's lackluster offensive performances this year, you look at, at, at Oregon State when they scored 21 points, they come out 44, Oregon. Um, you know, a good team with a pretty good defense. Um, you know, after scoring 28 points against Arizona State, having that disastrous third quarter, go to Washington State, they hang 69, could have scored 169, you know? And then they go to Washington, I mean, they go to Arizona, score 17 points. I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that USC scores 50 points in this game. I mean, I don't think, I think that's a very distinct possibility. I think that, you know, there's, they're healthier than they were last week. I mean, Joe McKnight, by all accounts, should be back. Damien Williams is a little bit of a question mark. They're going to hold him out of contact all this week where he re-aggravated his uh, a shoulder injury. Um, I think they called it a strain or a sprained shoulder. He bumped it at the end of the game against Arizona, and, and he's you know he's going to be out of contact this week, but should play. Really, the only guy who's not going to play is Avril Spicer. And I don't know if he, he may have even been the third-string defensive uh, nose tackle at this point with the way that Jarrell Casey played against Arizona. Yeah. All right. One quick so, thing, I mean, one quick thing before we got to go, Dan, Mark Sanchez, one thing that is going to, you can knock him. I mean, he's been a great leader and everything. He is putting the ball on the ground. He's turning the ball over to throwing it to the opposition or, or, or fumbling. What are they doing to try and uh, shore up what he's doing there? You, you know, I think they can live with this turnover so far for the most part, really. Um, you look at you look at the, the balls that he's had that that haven't turned over. Um, not to make too many excuses for him, um, the pass you know early in the uh, early in the game at Arizona, the cornerback made a fantastic break on the ball. Really, um, I watched it play again, and it, it wasn't the best pass obviously in the world. You know, that's probably one you just want to miss outside, and you know go back to the snap to kind of play. Um, but the fumble, I don't know. I mean, that fumble was. There's no way he could have known that guy was behind him. I mean, uh, I think it was uh, Reed or, or something like that. Um, you know, it come all the way around and made a great second and third effort pass rush. I mean, Mark had all this time in the pocket. Yeah, maybe he should have flushed out a little bit. But, I mean, 
he got completely blindsided on it. It's hard to fault him for that I fumble. I, at least I, I didn't have a, a real glaring issue with him on that. I think that they kind of like the fact that he's willing to take some risks. Um, you know, I, um, the ends justify the means, you know, the fact that he's willing to go down the field, he's willing to play his, um, he hasn't made it, uh, an overwhelming amount of just absolutely boneheaded decisions. Um, you know, there've been a couple here and there. Like I know the one play that he wishes he had back most was, uh, in the second quarter they had, uh, I'm sorry. I, I think it was in the second quarter. They had a third and one, and um, he had rolled out of the pocket. He tried to throw it down the field to Rojo instead of just rushing. Going for, for the, the yeah, yard. he could have got the first down. Yeah. yeah, and that was a play that that was a kind of a boneheaded decision. But I think for the most part, though, he's been he's been pretty solid. And one of the things that I speaking that I firmly believe is that lost in the mix with Mark Sanchez, who, by the way, I've seen now ranked as high as ten. Um, on some draft boards already, is is that he's still only you know ten starts into his career. I mean, this isn't a guy who's played a, a, an absolute amazing amount of football in college. I mean, he's still relatively inexperienced. He's still working you know with a relatively inexperienced group of receivers for the most part. I mean, guys that you know had worked with Booty, the Turner guys have been. Around. I mean, Vidal Hamilton was a guy that you would have thought would have been in more in the mix. I mean, he's not on the field. Damien Williams wasn't there last year. Rojo's still a sophomore. I mean, Anthony McCoy didn't do much last year. I mean, it, it's still, I think all things considered, it's really, really difficult to nitpick a lot of what they're doing. In yeah, some ways, I mean, there's still, I mean, obviously, the, Dan, there's obviously a lot of upside there. But unfortunately, we are out of time, so I'm sorry about that. But thank you very much for joining us, and I will talk to you again next week. Okay, sounds good, Red. All right, everyone else, thanks very much for this is our show for this week, the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week. Everyone go out there, homecoming, and enjoy the game. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can now download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player. Just search for Peristyle Podcast the next time you log into iTunes.